Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss the exciting science behind HRV and how you can apply it to your own health and the work that you do. Just a note, this podcast does not replace medical advice, and if you're going to apply this to your own life or others, please consult with a medical provider. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to uh, another episode of the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Uh, my name is Jeff Summers, here with, with Matt Bennett, who you all know well, co-founders of Optimal HRV. Happy Friday, Matt. Happy how are, Friday, how are Jeff. Things? <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, we were talking, uh, our nugs are down uh, 3-1 in the playoffs, uh, maybe eliminated by the time uh, this comes out, but maybe we'll make another 3-1 uh, <laughs> comeback, so... Uh, I, I could uh, beat both L.A. teams. No, nothing against our L.A. fans out there, but y'all got the Dodgers. Uh, you know, you're good. Let, let us have basketball this year. So uh, so, so we'll see. I'm still hopeful. <laughs> I feel like our podcast is a, an ongoing sort of status update of the NBA bubble season. Yes, yeah. When, <laughs> when somebody listens to three years fans. from now, they will have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah, so. exactly. Play on basketball <laughs> in September? That makes no sense. We are doing a bad job of keeping these evergreen, but you know, little little uh, current events doesn't hurt. So <laughs> that's exactly right, and and lighthearted current events, considering everything going on in the uh, world right now. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's it. Well, let's let's jump in, Matt. We've got awesome. some really cool things to talk about today, and and as you and I were kind of talking about um, earlier this week, I I learned a lot from from reading about. Uh, reading this this chapter in the book, and there were some concepts that, you know, from a from a word standpoint, I certainly knew the definition. Mm-hmm. But as you start to, and I guess for the folks, um, you know, listening, I'm talking about the concepts of resiliency, recovery, motivation, and post traumatic growth for the folks who haven't read the book. Um, just to add some context, and and obviously, you know, I understand the meaning of those words, but I've never really thought about what they mean from sort of a psychological perspective, and yeah. and you know, the context of what we've talked about so far in our podcast. Yeah. And so, you know, reading that chapter to me was really enlightening and and sort of eye opening in terms of how this this relates to our everyday lives, and and then additionally, how HRV can be used as a, as a tool um, to identify and and help us improve some of these, these, these concepts. So yeah. I, I don't know, I think maybe it starts by, I'll, I'll kind of define it. Like I said, it's, it's, it's something everybody sort of knows the, the, the definition of, but when, when we're talking about it in this context, I think it's, it's very different. So when we talk about resiliency, it's the capacity to recover quickly from difficulty or, or toughness. Yeah. So, you know, how, how capable are you to recover quickly from something challenging, difficult, uh, or, or, you know, apply your toughness. Right. Yeah. So, you know, from a, from all your background and training and, and education, you know, help, help folks understand what that means from a kind of psychology standpoint. Yeah. So resiliency is an interesting word right now in, in my work with, with trauma. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, it's interesting, Jeff, I've been part of this movement, uh, kind of from the early days, when you get to be my age, you can say stuff like that. Uh, yeah, you know, and you know, we were just trying to get the word trauma informed out there. Now people are trying to change the language, like resiliency informed. And resiliency is a word that's thrown around a lot. And I'm always for a positive uh, way to rephrase something. So I'm not, I'm interested in in what people are saying. But 
resiliency, even in, you know, my arena of psychology, I, I think we use it in a couple of different ways. And I think, you know, having some clarity on it, really the dictionary definition of it is, uh, you know, really to recover, you know, after hardship or difficulty. In other words, you know, to simplify it is if you get knocked down on your butt, you're able to get back up. Um, sure. now, now, a lot of people say, well, well, that's kind of the goal of treatment. And my only argument would be is, I think we have to be a little careful with that because if you want to see resiliency, go down to the homeless shelter. If you want to see resiliency, go to the methadone clinic. If you want to see resiliency, go to the domestic violence shelter. I mean, you will find the most resilient people in our society. Now, not all of those people yet have turned that resiliency into motivation to take a positive step forward because there, there's still a lot of them in that survival mode. So, you know, if we really want to get technical about resiliency, which I think is actually a useful thing for, for us in the field to think about is, you know, it's really that ability to get back up to your baseline. Um, and and I, would, I would limit the definition to that because there's so much there that's important because if, if a trauma happens or somebody has a huge setback or somebody gets laid off from their job or there's, you know, you're maybe an employee who, you know, I was, I was talking to a business friend of mine, uh, you know, that half of their workforce is going to get laid off. Like that's, that's a challenge to the resiliency of the people being laid off, but also the people that are staying um, as, as well, because their workload is going to increase that there's that survival guilt we know that, that can uh, linger in those environments as well. So looking at it really is being able to get back up after a setback or a hardship, uh, whether that's just a, a really stressful day at work or whether that's even a trauma to kind of get back up to that baseline. So with HRV, great measure of this, right? If, if you take it and we'll use the language that we've been using throughout this series, you look at that, you know, what we call the all-time baseline, but really your baseline level, if something hard happens, what we'll see, what we should see is a decline in HRV scores. So we're seeing a, how the stress of the event, whether it's an illness, whether it's, you know, psychological stress, uh, whether it's just a really, really, really hard workout. Um, we're, we're kind of pushing the workout piece in this with resiliency, but you know, it, it kind of works there too, at least as a dictionary definition. So we, we will see that dip in HRV and then that's going to be our atomic nervous system. Nervous system is really struggling to handle the allostolic load or the stress on our system. And then resiliency is the ability to get back up uh, to that baseline. So for some people, it may just be a few days. Uh, for other people, it may be a couple months, depending on the level of the setback. And I think HRV, Jeff, also helps us see resiliency as more as a point A, point B, point C, right? Um, that, that there's going to be, if somebody, let's say, gets you know, laid off from their job in this economic environment. Um, we'll probably see over time, we'll see HRV drop, but then there may be good days and bad days within that drop as well. So, so what we're really looking in some ways to see, when does that weekly average get back in line with the baseline? So again, there may be good, bad readings throughout there, but again, we sort of want to get those longer term averages back in line uh, with those baseline readings. So again, ability to get back up, the ability to recover to a formal 
uh, kind of state is, is a really good way to, to look at and have HRV help measure this journey. Uh, so again, we can start to put quantitative data around, you know, sort of a concept that we, I don't think we've defined really well, even in psychology of, of that, that resiliency uh, piece. Right. But if it's something that people are really focused on and interested in and paying attention to, having, to your point, a, a metric that's going to help them understand the level of which their client, patient, you yeah. know, employee, whoever is resilient becomes very important, right? Yeah. And, well, let's think about, let, let me just keep with the organizational example of layoffs. How resilient is the organization, right? Because I would imagine during... Right. Again, having been, you know, on both sides of the layoff equations at points in my career of being laid off, but also being in organizations that were going downhill, but I was kind of kept on and left on my own volition, you know, that's a, that's a hardship on both sides. Now, obviously, somebody who's still getting paid versus somebody who's now unemployed, there's, there's different, I don't want to compare those two, but sure. you know, there's, there's stress inherent to all parties involved in that. So, you know, as, as the organization goes through that, there's this dip. Nobody I, I've yet to meet, well, I've read about people that seem to enjoy laying people off, but most, most human beings that I know uh, really, really struggle from that, whether they're in the management position, um, executive position, or on, you know, on any side of that equation. So, you know, you're going to see that dip uh, organizationally as you go through what, what can be even traumatic for the organization how do you start to get back up and show that resiliency and really to measure uh, uh, that piece? You know, you take enough of these readings like you and I have, you know, and you can kind of see yourself go through, you know, kind of tough weeks. I know last week was a pretty stressful one for me. Um, you know, my, my wife is uh, amazing first grade teacher transitioning back in. I'm nervous that she's going back in uh, to a community who's, at least has this university. I don't know who goes to this university, Jeff. Uh, what, 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 what's wrong with the people associated with the university that's in her town? But a uh, uh, huge outbreak, and uh, she's going to go back. not the only university. I know, I know. But it's the one one of us graduated from on this call. So uh, like, I'm sure people can <laughs> sort of deduce who you might be referring to. As far as I know, Lindsay Wilson's doing good. So uh, As far as you know. Not sure you can Google the results but you know it's there so so again we can even measure this for groups and resiliency again being a something happens and we see the dip and then tracking that recovery process we, we can kind of map that out over time so again uh mapping both the falling down so to speak and then sort of the the getting back up which you know kind of nicely leads us into the the, the next definition i know we're going to cover uh as well yeah, yeah, well, that's right. And you mentioned recovery a couple times as you were talking through resiliency. Yeah. And, you know, they, they're very tied together, right? Mm -hmm. And if you look at the, the definition of recovery, it's a return to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. Yeah. With the action or process of regaining passion or control of something stolen or lost. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and really, so, really, yeah. You know, and you think about resiliency, recovery is a huge part of that, right? I mean, Absolutely. resiliency obviously is something that has to happen for you to need to recover and be resilient. Yeah. Um, but, you know, how, how closely are they interrelated, I guess? Is, is you know, you, you could really look at it. And sometimes, you know, with this, we're kind of pulling apart things that, 
you know, we're, we're maybe overthinking it a little bit, but hey, we, we've got a podcast, we can overthink things. You know, really in many ways, recovery, if you think about the resiliency as kind of being from your, your typical, your baseline to a lower state of health and wellness, to return to baseline, obviously the return to baseline is the recovery process. So, so when I think about it from a trauma perspective is some folks, um, and again, I, I see this, um, you, you know, in, in a little bit, I, I'm living this part of my last hard week, the last week was, you know, the passing away of a family member, which was really just kind of in, in, a, a, in the time of COVID, just a, a really difficult experience to kind of contemplate and think about. And, you know, so, so you could see that kind of dip with there. So there was a big sort of setback for me that week, you know, but, but, but so recovery from a trauma perspective, but I'm not saying my last week was traumatizing, but, you know, we would see that dip. And if we can quickly bounce back somebody, that's really good for mental health because we know like for, for folks that may have had a family member pass away, that there, there will be a dip. Um, you know, as you struggle with the pain, the grief, all those things are going to show up for most people in their HRV score. But, you know, for a lot of us, if we get good support from friends, family, we're able to get back up to baseline pretty quickly. So there's not like trauma devastates HRV for years, but this, there's a little bit of a kind of a post-traumatic recovery, so to speak, that if we identify somebody struggling and we give them the support, and, and for some people, mental health services, can be a part of that. So, so recovery can be this big part of the return to baseline for folks. But recovery, we can also say that is a pretty light term as well. You know, sure. uh, I'm planning on trying to get a run in today at some time. It's going to dip my HRV score. Um, now, uh, when I want to say if it returns to baseline tomorrow, I'm resilient. Not really. I'm not going to run a marathon this afternoon. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to push myself for a personal best. Uh, I'm going to run back. I'm going to drop my car off for an oil change. I'm going to pretty much run back from where I dropped it off at, right? It's just my, you know, getting some exercise in today. So to me, recovery can be part of that resiliency curve. But, you know, maybe I get a cold, and that dips my HRV for a while. But I'm not really knocked down on my butt. I'm just kind of annoyed that my body's dealing with a different kind of stress or strain than I'm used to. So I can kind of track that recovery from that piece. So, so again, I, I can, we can pull out recovery in a little bit of a different way to say, you know, yeah, you had a hard night drinking. Well, the, the, the fact you're not hungover <laughs> two days I'm later, as, let, my recovery. We, we not, yeah, we may not need to throw the word resiliency on that. Uh, maybe you know, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm definitely not as resilient as I once was. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the recovery yeah. takes much longer. Well, I think yeah. that's an interesting sort of concept, right? Recovery is a part of resiliency, but resiliency is more, you know, how quickly are you prepared right. to, to recover from yeah. big and small? And recovery is the process of going from, you know, lower to higher or, yeah. or you know, worse to better is a better way to put it. Exactly. Now, now, do I become more resilient physically if I keep doing these afternoon runs? Yeah. You know, I'm going to be it. able, my immune system's going to function better. Uh, my, the health of my body, uh, being fit, uh, having been in an adequate weight category for, for my size and age, all that, if COVID hits me or hits me again, depending on whether I had it or not, still kind of a mystery, I should be able to be more resilient to that more severe sort of challenge to the health of my system. So, you, you know, again, th these things are so interrelated, but again, recovery can also be, 
I was hungover after a hard night drinking on Friday. Sunday, I'm feeling okay again. We can just call that recovery, you know? We can right. call that recovery. We don't have to call that resiliency. So, again, recovery can let us speak to, I think, a much broader range of uh, more daily, probably, activities as well. And, and as we've talked so, so often in this series, HRV is, is really a direct um, metric to help you understand yep. the recovery process, be it yeah. physical, be it you know, mental, emotional, whatever kind of stress you might be under, you're putting yourself through. Yep. You know, that recovery process, is, it's important to know where you're at. Right. And there's not really any way to know uh, other than heart rate variability at this point. You know, I mean, it, yeah. <clears throat> whether you're recovering from surgery, whether you're recovering for your next workout, whether you're recovering yeah. from a traumatic event, whether you're recovering from, you know, stress at work, be it a layoff or otherwise. Um, a three-year-old or a uh, one-year-old a with sick one-year-old at home <laughs> with an ear infection this week. I'm still waiting to start that recovery because we're, we're knee-deep in it. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, and, and it, I feel bad. All like, our listeners hear about my three and one year. I know, I, I love right. talking about your kids. They're such a great example. Kids. That's right, but you know, it's for me. It's been really incredible over the last year, where I've really taken consistent reading to see such a direct correlation between the recovery that I know I need. Yeah. Um, from for whatever reason, uh, and and the HRV score I take every morning. There's it's it's very obvious. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt yeah. that it's it's directly uh, an indicator of where I'm at in that process. Absolutely. And, and again, or if I've even started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and again, like recovery just might not, it doesn't have to be a terrible day at work, but a normal day at work. So it, it, recovery gives us a way to look at HRV at sort of like, you know, a less intense sort of uh, way, more daily activities. Um, and again, but it, then it can go to the big ones when we talk about resiliency as well so that that word covers a huge umbrella for for kind of everything we're trying to measure uh with hrv that's right you know and if you think if you're a medical professional if you're you know a mental health professional you know and you're working with people who are sick who are yeah. unhealthy who are injured who are you know yeah. in need of, of of support um from a therapeutic standpoint you know being able to track that long-term recovery right. especially as a therapist um, you know, what a cool tool that you, you never had before. Right. And, and you know, chiropractors, there, there's a lot of those that are interested in, in HRV. So, so yeah, yep. medical providers, this more and more articles are coming out about this being kind of a, a really cool vital to, to use to track recovery from illness. So, yeah, I mean, again, so this touches, you know, really all of us. If you're not recovering from something somewhere throughout your week, Man, uh, I, I, I don't watch know. Your life. You live a different life than I do. Uh, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Even when I go on vacation, I'm usually recovering from either a, a hard day on the slopes, uh, you know, a good hike, traffic or, or coming home, whatever. maybe sampling the drinks of the region I'm in. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Air travel, who knows? Oh, yeah, air travel. Yes, there is recovery from that as well. That's right. So, you know, the next concept in, the, in, the, in this chapter of the book um, that I thought was sort of interesting in this context is motivation. So, again, this is a word we all understand. We know what motivation is, you know, the reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way mm -hmm. or the general desire or willingness of someone to do something. Yeah. Very straightforward definition. But you know, how does it equate to 
some of the concepts that we've been focused on over the course of the podcast? Yeah, so this one was fun for me because, you know, this, this kind of hit all the topics I've, I, that my career really has been centered around. And one of the things that, that I've uh, written about uh, and, and do trainings on is something called motivational interviewing. And uh, motivational interviewing is a best practice to help people, support people making behavioral changes. Uh, Great thing about MI is physicians use it, uh, uh, case managers as well as uh, clinicians. It's been adapted into the healthcare environment in really uh, cool ways. And it's really creating a science around behavioral change and how we support people um, in that process. And so one of the things is I challenged myself as I, I was writing the book is, did, does HRV have anything to do with motivation? And, and while, you know, you know, does it measure motivation? I think that I'll be honest, I think that is a stretch. But, but what we know with motivation is early on in the change process and change is a process. If you've ever tried to eat healthier, you know, there are starts and there are stops to it. If you've ever tried to stop a behavior, you know, you usually relapse in some way. Now, if you're trying to stop buying your fingernail, relapse might not be all that harmful. If you're stop, trying to stop using heroin, relapse can be life-threatening. So not all behaviors obviously carry the consequences of others. But, but one of the big things that we know about, uh, uh, you know, change is that there are these stages. And in the early stages of change um, especially the stage of contemplation is something I've been thinking a lot about. Um, we, a lot of times, and we've done this in the helping professions, the healthcare professions, we still do way too often, is that as the professional, and we do this in our friendships and our families as well, when we make the argument why someone should change or why somebody should do action, we often call cause resistance. Um, if you don't believe me, find a teenager. They, they will give you a one-minute example. Just tell a teenager, find a teenager on the street, so, hey, you need to change. You know, you look like a punk. Change your clothes or pull your pants or whatever it might be uh, that as old people say to the youth of the day. But, but you will get very what we call sustained talk. In other words, they will tell you very quickly why they're not going to change. So what we've learned is that we need to really support people and understand and identify what stage they're in and communicate at that level. So contemplation is a pretty deep word if you think about it. Um, you know, religious, contemplating uh, with the Buddhists, uh, Christianity, all, all religious kind of, uh, you know, have some sort of contemplation reflection um, that's often inherent to prayer or worship. Um, mindfulness is a lot of times about contemplation. So there's this deep word and really it means thinking about change but but think about someone who's may have used heroin for 10 years and it's such a part of their life thinking about quitting is a very intense and stressful thing uh leaving an abusive or maybe unhealthy partner um well there's reasons to stay maybe kids are involved uh maybe i i don't think i can do any better because i i don't i don't have that's where my self-esteem is around this issue and so one of the things that we can use HRV for is if we know someone is just contemplating a change early on and we see that their HRV score, and this is where kind of pre-session readings kind of come in. And you can think about this from a manager perspective as well. But when we're going to have a hard kind of conversation with somebody, a, a stressful one, not that we're going to put stress, we just know that, hey, talking about quitting a behavior that, that's an ingrained habit is probably going to be stressful for all of us. 
is that if we see that that pre-conversation reading is below baseline, they might not be in a state, if you go back to earlier podcast states and traits, they might not be in a state right now to really have that conversation. Um, so from a clinical perspective, one is I, I want to maybe talk to what's stressing you out today. Um, well, what's going on? I, I want to maybe offer uh, support uh, to help help regulate their nervous system, kind of get it back into a place where we can have that, that conversation. In other words, I, I, I need to kind of adjust my expectations for what we might be able to cover during that session. There may be other things going on in that person's life where that contemplation of change, because we also know with change that we're adding a stress to the equation. And we call it cognitive dissonance is where, you know, I realize there's a better future out there for me or my current behavior is out of line with my, the values or hurting me in some ways. And, you know, it's that when you get feedback from your doctor that your weight uh, might is causing heart problems, right? But you really love tater tots like I do. You know, <laughs> you, you really still want tater tots, but you know, if you eat your tater tots, you might destroy your heart. You know, uh, just kind of that stress, that angst is what we term cognitive dissonance. And the good thing is that's the real fuel for change, um, but it also adds stress to the body as well. So again, while HRV might not uh, measure motivation, it really does measure the individual's capacity to have these hard conversations and engage in these hard conversations. So, um, you know, when we look at those and we, in the book, we go through each of those stages of change and how HRV scores can inform um, the, the person in the helping position or the manager position can inform how to think about those conversations based on HRV. So when I look at motivational interviewing and integrating HRV into it, Again, it just gives us another piece of data to help customize um, our interventions in a way that hopefully we can give the person the support and resources they need uh, to, to consider, contemplate, and hopefully get to that action stage uh, eventually. So my hope is that HRV integration can actually speed that change process up because we know how to structure our time and communication with the individual in a, in a whole different way. Yeah, it's uh, that was definitely one of my favorite parts of the book, and something that I had never, <clears throat> never really gotten into. And I think it resonates with everybody. You know, I mean, it, yeah. everybody's wanted at some point to change something in their life, and to understand the process that you go through from a psychological standpoint to to actually make it happen is yeah. pretty interesting. Well, and I mean, you do sales. So I, I mean, I, I, I'm terrible at marketing and sales. So, so I might be wrong, but you know, oftentimes when you reach out to somebody for the first time, they may not know they need your product yet. We call that contemplation yeah. stage. When you start talking to them about their product, that, that's contemplation, right? You, you, they don't know if they're going to buy it or not. And I know you don't sell, you know, our app is really cheap in your world. You sell these big expensive solutions for folks mostly. You know, so, so they're thinking about that and, and they're weighing cost versus benefit. Uh, then they move to preparation stage where they're planning for implementation. Now, we do this with folks with HRV as well. We want you to have a plan to implement this. And all of that happens before action. I, I would imagine in the sales arena, if you jump to buy too quickly, you might lose somebody, right? That you want to kind of support them along 
um, that process and you're selling things that benefit them. And obviously if you sell it, it benefits you as well. So, you know, you've got a solution that can make their life better, their business function better, that sort of thing as well. So, you know, we, we look at this all throughout our life and we're just guilty in our society of let's get to action. And we lose so much, uh, whether it's clients, whether it's patients, adherence to medical treatment, uh, whether it's probably sales, uh, because sure. we're, we're too anxious to get there. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, and without understanding the process that everybody needs to go through, it's really yeah. easy. You know, I mean, I think most people struggle to some extent with patients. Everybody, yeah. I don't know anybody who yeah. has never been impatient in their life. Right. And so, but if you understand the process, yeah. it's a lot easier to say, okay, they're just not there yet. We need to get them there yeah. to this point in the process before we can go to the next step. And that's, it, it, and that's okay. Like, yeah, you selling a solution or me trying to help someone kick an addiction. There, there's that, that process right. to help work someone through to, one, see their own kind of desire, reason, and need to make this change. Um, yep. And then kind of help it. You know, and, and it's tough because I'm rewarded if I get the outcome that this person is now sober. You get commission if you get the person to say, I'm buying. So we're all pressured to, to get there. And yet there's a whole bunch of research that said if you speed up that process too quickly, um, it's, you're not going to have as strong as long, medium to long-term outcomes are going to suffer. Even if you got to force someone into a behavior, uh, there's a movement versus motivation, right? I had a boss that told me just outright, if I don't yell at people, nothing gets done around here. Well, he was a terrible boss and he was yelling all the time, right? <laughs> my, my whole approach to management is I want you to find something in yourself that, that moves you. If I have to yell at you, we, we've hit a problem. Yeah, um, we're we're not in the right role. Yeah, it's not my, it's not my, I, if I'm yelling at people, something's wrong with me, uh, you know, because yeah. I don't want movement. I want motivation. So if I'm not in the room yelling at you, you're still going to give your best. And so, you know, it's, it's, it challenges, the science of change challenges some of those long ingrained uh, kind of conceptions that we have. If this person just hits rock bottom or we send these kids to prison and have prisoners yell at them and threaten them for two hours, they'll never commit crime again. It doesn't, it doesn't work, you know, right. scared straight right. makes a, a, there was a TV show or was like, yeah. I guess, it, I guess we get entertainment value for watching criminals yell at children but you know it doesn't lead to good long-term outcomes it's it's when we support people not confront them is when we see those changes really happen so yeah yep. and that's right and, and having a tool like hrv to help understand when people are really ready to make some yeah. of these changes and, and help identify where they're at in some of these processes is, yeah. is very cool you know it's it's not it's not been available in the past and probably not a lot of people are thinking about it Yep. And one last thing too is motivation is not a, we talk about the states being where I'm at right now and traits being more long-term sort of personality trait kind of things. And motivation is not a trait. It is a state. Um, if you've ever gone on yeah, a diet, right. right? You might wake up in the morning, you are motivated. You go down, I have this God awful shake in the morning. I, I, I just need to cram it down my throat. I, I get just disgusting, but it's got air, like all the good things I need for the day in it. So, you know, I'm doing good. I have a salad for lunch, but you know, then somebody brings some tater tots in, right? And now I got the 
the thing. So invites you to happy hours. Right, yeah, yeah right. You got a beer and so there's tater tots on the menu. So, you know, I've been motivated all day long. And then now that I got some tots and a good IPA in front of me and it just goes all kinds of hell. So, you know, there, there's right. So I was motivated. I was in action stage actually those days. And now with tater tots in front of me, I'm going, I'm going relapse. Right. And I may wake up the next day and be back in motivation. Um, or I may just have some tater tots for breakfast because I think they're a pretty good replacement for hash browns when you're in a pinch. So, you know, <laughs> put them in a breakfast burrito. I have success with that. So, so, you know, this Sounds is a delicious. State. Yeah. So if you see someone with a lower than average HRV score, we know, and this talks about the relapse stage, right? That we've talked about quite a bit as well is that more, when there's more stress strain on the system, I'm more likely to fall back into the negative or old behaviors too. So again, with relapse being part of most everybody's change and anything we're trying to do, you know, it's part of the process. Again, HRB can give a big red light that, hey, this person is at risk for falling into this stage. Again, well, if that's just eating some tater tots at happy hour, no probably big long-term consequences. That's relapsing on a substance or going back to a uh, maybe an unhealthy relationship. You know, sure. that, that's the scary thing. So again, it can also really help us on that end when motivation is lacking. And again, if we can reach out and support the, the importance that we talk about this in the chapter, and we may want to do a whole podcast on it at some point is one of the best ways to help people when they are struggling is to give that supportive, we call it empathetic uh, communication with somebody, listen to them, um, understand what they're going through. Just that a lot of times can help them get back into their kind of window of tolerance, so to speak, to get their HRV back in a good spot. Um, and get them back to a different state, which uh, is less likely to relapse. So, you know, you, you start digging into this and, and there's a lot of HRB can at least alert us to when it comes to that's motivation. Right. Yep. Yeah. And that's it, right? It, it's just a yep. tool that can be used to better understand it. So when we talk about change and motivation for change, obviously, you know, we look typically looking for growth in some yep. way, shape or form, you know, I mean, you, you change, you, you want to change for a reason. Yes. Um, yep. And so, you know, one of the concepts that you address in the book, uh, especially for, um, um, you know, especially when we talk about trauma, which has been part of our conversation so far is post-traumatic growth. So, you know, if you look at for somebody like me, layperson had no idea. I mean, I can sort of derive based on the yeah. meanings of the words what it is. But if you define it as positive psychological changes experienced as a result of adversity and other challenges in order to rise to a higher level of functioning, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that's sort of the end goal for a lot of this, right? Yeah. You know, especially in the, in the arena you're in um, and you've spent so much time studying. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how HRV correlates to, to sort of post-traumatic growth. Yeah. So, so one of the ways I talk about trauma and post-traumatic growth is, you know, we talked a little bit about this in previous podcasts is we can see a biological injury in brain scans and heart rate variability, sinus arrhythmia, these biometrics uh, for, for folks that especially uh, experienced uh, repeated trauma, uh, especially repeated trauma in childhood. All trauma is bad, but the child, the young brain is developing so quickly 
that trauma can really uh, disrupt and change how that uh, brain develops. The good news, no matter how much trauma you've been through, there's hope for everybody. And that, that hope is within post, this, we label a post-traumatic growth. Um, for me personally, as a survivor of trauma in my own life, you know, I, I look back at my experience and say, I never want to go back to anything like that again. If I don't experience that ever again, I'll be very happy. However, I'm the person today because I was able to survive and get over that experience. I, I was able to recover. I was able to find resiliency. And, and what post-traumatic growth really speaks to is, uh, unlike a broken bone, that if you go to the doctor and uh, you go into a state that, you know, I broke my arm, but six months later, it's back to 100% functioning. You know, in other words, the doctor returned me to a state before the injury. You're pretty happy with your medical care. The really positive thing about trauma is that if we get the right treatment, we get the right support, we, that pain and suffering very psychologically, but we can, again, measure this in HRV brain scans, um, when that, that suffering and pain heals, it's replaced by wisdom, resiliency, and strength. So we learn something from the experience. We usually, when we return to health and wellness, we, we usually watch a Disney movie. They do a great job of this is, you know, the Disney character experiences trauma. Watch for trauma. It's in pretty much every Disney movie I've ever watched. And because kids have such a short attention span, it is front loaded pretty quickly. Um, there's this negative uh, slide with challenges, suffering that goes on. They usually hit a pretty dark spot. Then someone comes into their life that helps them see hope and they go through this transformational process. And that's really what post-traumatic growth is the outcome of that transformation. And they go back into a good life at some point, but they're a different person after that experience. And so um, basically you can almost watch any movie um, that, and you'll see this character arc, so to speak, of this transformational uh, process. So, you know, when we think about this from an HRV perspective, and this is why I'm really excited with, and I know we'll, we'll talk more details about it, but our, our next version of the app is uh, we're, we're, we're testing it and it's going to come out soon. But one of the things we're integrating in is population norms. And so what we'll probably see for most folks with trauma and the research we back this up is that population norms for their age, gender are at a certain level. People that have been struggling with trauma all their life are, are going to be lower than the population norms. And, and again, we want to be careful that that isn't a, uh, a judgment on them. It's just the reality of, of trauma. Sure. Of but what we can do then is measure hopefully an improvement up to that population norm baseline over time is really a measure of post-traumatic growth. Um, again, and the difference between this and recovery, because they might seem very similar, is recovery is usually if I experience a trauma like a family member passing away and I'm able to get back to baseline and things might change about me. I might have some insight, you know, uh, all this stuff happens. But, you know, within a month or so, if I'm back there, to me, that's, I, I, we can call that post-traumatic recovery. Growth is a lot of times associated more with individuals who've gone through, you know, again, that complex compound trauma where they've really been struggling with this for a sustained period of time. And, and it's just that growth process is really a transformational process that usually involves, uh, you know, uh, trauma treatment, a lot of support, life changes, a lot of things might go into this to experience this. But again, pretty simple way to measure it is, 
folks with this compound complex trauma will often, before they get treatment, be well under population norms. What we should see is our interventions helps to the nervous system to recover and eventually get back up to that baseline. And, and again, there, there's other things that are going to go on that we're not measuring, like gaining wisdom. Uh, you know, uh, re resiliency we might be able to measure, but there's something psychologically that we might not be able to say, oh, look, wisdom, look, that's the HRV score for wisdom. <laughs> but it's, it's but a big, there's correlation there, right? Yeah, I mean, with but, wisdom, but we're showing the, the biological injury right. is healing. So what we should see some psychological manifestations uh, to support that as well. So, you know, and this is to me exciting, Jeff, because this is, this has been my life for the last 17 years. And as soon as I learned, I can start to measure that process and how well my interventions might be supporting an individual's, uh, uh, recovery and growth process. That, that's why I couldn't let this go because that, that's just data that we really, we really struggled to get. Uh, I'm not saying we couldn't get in through surveys and stuff, but it just, this gave, gave so us, this allowed too. us to see the healing going on underneath the skin and in a way that I, I think is gonna be revolutionary for the trauma treatment world. Yeah, right, having that data-driven um, report on, on recovery and effectiveness yeah. of, of, of the interventions and, and therapies is, is pretty incredible. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's life-changing, maybe life-saving for, for some people because we can also know what's not working. Um, a lot That's of right. Times, yeah, 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 right. Stop when you're when you're behind sort of thing, you know. It's a yeah, I, I've been talking some like, and I love the intervention that like they're thinking about building trauma-informed kind of long-term shelters and some people are thinking about, you know, because some people have been camping and sleeping outside for, for decades even and they're actually, their biology is adjusted to that. So, maybe putting them in a, a small enclosed room by themselves is not a good thing, but maybe give them space on the roof to, to camp out. Like being creative with this and seeing, hey, we stuck them in a room, we think we're doing something great because we're getting them in a safer house, but we see huge drops in HRV score and we, we, we see some of this uh, coming out of, hey, but uh, hey, if they're sleeping up, you know, they're storing their stuff in their room, but they're, they're sleeping in a safe place up there on the roof, you know, eventually we want them to come inside, but just having that flexibility to see, hey, this intervention that we're doing, uh, this medication we're giving, this resource we're giving, with all the good intentions in the world, don't work for everybody. And so it can also help us say, hey, we're actually seeing, we tried this, it, with this person struggling with this change, how can we support them? Where's that flexibility as well? So. You know, that, that, that's where this really gets exciting is what is working for the person, this individual, uh, right. you know, and even if it works for nine out of 10 people, might not work for this individual. So how do we customize interventions for that person so they get the same good outcomes? Yep. Makes sense. A lot of good stuff today. Yes, um, like I said, this is one of my favorite chapters in the book. A lot of good ones, but um, you, you know, good to kind of get your perspective on, on why you, you chose to include it and what it means for a lot of the folks that might be listening to, uh, to, the, to the episode. Yeah, awesome. So last question, will the series still be going on when we record our next podcast next week? I don't know, man. I, I'm going to say yes. I, I'm yes. going to be optimistic. Uh, All right. Well, I'm not scared well, of the 3-1 deficit. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll check back in with folks. Uh, yeah. 
we, right. we might be sad, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? We'll find out. Maybe we know our Nuggets are resilient. They, they are resilient. They get back up after hardship. Uh, so they're too young to know that. otherwise. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Well, hey, Matt, always a pleasure. Thanks to everybody for listening in. Um, we appreciate it. If there's topics that you're interested in, you have feedback. If you're interested in learning more uh, in our product, Optimal HRV, uh, please go to our website, optimalhrv.com. Send us an email um, at uh, sales at optimalhrv.com. Love to interact with anybody that's got questions around HRV in general. Absolutely. We'll, we'll see you all, all right, next Matt. week. Have a great weekend. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you're interested in more information about HRV, please visit us at OptimalHRV.com. Also, if you visit OptimalHRV.com, you'll be able to sign up for our email list and download our free ebook, Healing with HRV. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next episode.